Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, July 1st. I'm Lorraine Caceres. These are today's headlines. President Biden arriving in Miami showing support for rescue teams and the families of those lost in the Surfside condo collapse as the death toll rises to 18. The chief financial officer of the Trump organization taken into custody this morning after a grand jury issued indictments against that executive, Alan Weiselberg, and the Trump organization itself. And the Supreme Court weighing in on voting restrictions being put into place by Republican lawmakers across the country. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. President Biden arrived in Miami this morning, one week after the tragic collapse of the Champlain Tower South condo building in Surfside, Florida. The president sitting down with local and state leaders, including Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levincada and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, to discuss how the federal government can support rescue and recovery efforts and to pledge federal financial assistance. I think there's more that we can do, including... Uh... I think I have the power, and we'll know shortly, that, uh, to be able to uh, pick up 100% of the costs for the county and the state over the first 30 days. Biden also praised the bipartisan collaboration over the past week, saying we live in a nation where we can cooperate, he said. It's literally important. Meanwhile, the search and rescue mission temporarily halted this morning due to instability detected in the remaining portion of the building. The death toll now standing at 18. Authorities reporting the bodies of two children and their mother have now been recovered. New video of the night of the Surfside collapse now surfacing. A TikTok user posting these images before the building came crashing down, showing water pouring into the garage. Minutes later, the immediate aftermath, a cloud of dust and confusion surrounding the scene. Oh my God. A survivor called her brother scared when she felt the building shake. He didn't answer the phone, but his voicemail recorded the chaos among residents trying to get out. Anybody over there? Hello? Who's there? <laughs> then the chilling moment she realizes what has happened. Let me check my camera. Oh my God! What the hell? Oh my God! Yanni! The whole side is moving. It's been a week since the nightmare unfolded, and since then, the search and rescue efforts have been exhausting and difficult. Efforts paused temporarily Thursday morning due to instability detected on the remaining portion of the building. The building is, is structurally compromised. It's not safe. 
so we take an extraordinary amount of precautions uh, in order to make sure that the site is safe for those working on it and also those that are trapped in the rubble. Uh, we use things like lasers in order to, same like surveyors would, to make sure that we're monitoring any type of tremors. So we, uh, we take an abundance of caution to make sure all lives are safe at all times. The emotional toll also palpable. Firefighters reporting that shortly after the collapse, they heard thumping on a wall and a woman saying, I'm here, get me out. They now believe she did not survive. It's been tough. I just want to emphasize that. It's been tough. Um, you know, talking to our personnel, the spirits are high. You know, we're still moving forward. You know, we see the resources coming through. We're exhausting every avenue here. But it's a very, very dangerous situation. Overnight, authorities recovering the bodies of a mother and her two daughters, 10 and 4 years old. Their father's body found first four days ago. It's hard hearing to see children. I personally were there. And uh, as a father, uh, I can uh, be with the families in this very difficult moment. I was with you guys uh, when uh, they, we pulled them out. And all I can say to the families is we are trying to scale up. We are trying to do our work very, very professionally. Meanwhile, a federal safety agency, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, or NIST, a small agency within the Commerce Department, announcing Wednesday it's launching an investigation of the deadly collapse. This will be a fact-finding, not fault-finding, technical investigation. It will take time, possibly a couple of years, but we will not stop until we determine the likely cause of this tragedy. The Washington Post is reporting that in 2019, five of the seven board members of the Champlain Condo Association quit due to disputes about beginning necessary repairs in a timely manner. And now to Washington, where the House of Representatives is expected to vote today on a $715 billion infrastructure deal. The, investment, the Invest in America Act is focused on improving roads, bridges, transit and rail, and ensuring clean drinking water. House Democrats hope the bill can be used as a framework to start negotiations with the Senate and White House. President Biden and a bipartisan group of senators reached a deal last week on top-line priorities, but many of other other details are still unclear this bill is likely to be approved in the democrat controlled house in an economic news claims for unemployment benefits have hit a new low since the pandemic began last week 364,000 americans filed jobless claims it's a turnaround for most of june which saw the number of claims increase but millions of people are still unemployed and employers are seeing worker shortages amid concerns about child care and ongoing health risks Meanwhile, a watchdog report says the Internal Revenue Service still had more than 35 million tax returns to process at the end of this year's filing season. It, that's a backlog four times bigger at the, than the, at the end of 2019 filing season. The challenges of working during the pandemic and last-minute tax changes made by Congress to provide relief for struggling Americans created a difficult task for the IRS. The report found a lack of working printers is also to blame for the backlog. As of March, about 42% of the printers and copiers used for IRS processing were broken. 
And in immigration news, a new federal court filing shows the parents of nearly 400 migrant children separated at the border have still not been found. The filing from the Justice Department and the American Civil Liberties Union is part of an ongoing effort to identify and reunite families since the zero tolerance immigration policy was created three years ago. According to Wednesday's, Wednesday's filing, since May, the parents of about two dozen migrant children have been found. The Biden administration's interagency task force has been engaging with groups that are in touch with families and carefully planning their return. And now to big moves at the Supreme Court. Justices upholding voting restrictions in Arizona in a decision that could make it harder to challenge restrictive voting measures passed by Republican lawmakers after last year's elections. Edwin Piti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin? That's right, Lorraine. The Supreme Court said that two provisions of Arizona voting law that restrict how ballots can be cast do not violate the Historic Voting Rights Act. The opinion in the 6-3 ruling was written by Justice Samuel Alito, and as expected, it divided the court along ideological lines. The court was considering the shield provided by the Voting Rights Act, first passing in 1965 to forbid laws that result in discrimination based on race. But now the Supreme Court is upholding the two Arizona voting restrictions that a lower court had said discriminated against minority voters. One of those two cases throws out the ballots of those who vote in the wrong precincts, and the other restricts who may collect ballots cast early for delivery to polling places. The greater impact here could be how the Voting Rights Act relates to an outpouring of new laws enacted by state legislators that have changed voting procedures, changes that have come as a reaction to former President Trump's false claims of widespread fraud. According to the Liberal Brennan Center for Justices, at least 880 bills proposing election law changes have been introduced in 49 states, and of those, at least 28 bills with expansive provisions have been signed into law in 14 states. Back in 2013, the Supreme Court made it harder for civil rights groups to challenge these types of changes. But today, the court examined a part of the voter protection law called Section 2, which was amended in 1982 to prohibit any voting practices that result in a denial of the right of any U.S. citizen to vote on account of race or color. In an unusual letter to the Supreme Court, the Biden administration agreed that Arizona's laws do not violate Section 2. But despite that, Democrats are now saying that between 2008 and 2016, Arizona discarded more than 38,000 ballots in general elections, all of which were cast by registered eligible voters. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Lorraine. Thank you, Aaron, for that report. And controversial former Department of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld has died at the age of 88. According to a statement from his family, Rumsfeld was surrounded by loved ones at the time of his death. The Chicago native served in the U.S. Navy as a pilot and flight instructor from 1954 to 1957 and then with the U.S. Navy Reserves until 1989 when he retired as a captain. In 1975, Rumsfeld made history by becoming the youngest defense secretary under President Gerald Ford. In 2001, Rumsfeld held that role again during the, the George W. Bush administration, where he was the chief architect of the war in Iraq. Along with Operation Enduring Freedom, the war in Afghanistan that continues to this day, 
Rumsfeld also had a large role in promoting the use of so-called enhanced interrogation techniques for those in custody during the War on Terror, tactics that many called torture. There was no word yet on his cause of death. And turning to climate news, residents in Florida may have to brace for even more storms in the next few days. That's because Tropical Depression 5 has strengthened into a tropical storm and has been named ELSA by the National Hurricane Center. ELSA is currently producing winds of 40 miles per hour and is located about 850 miles southeast of the Windward Islands, moving 25 miles per hour. The storm is expected to hit those islands Friday and produce up to eight inches of rainfall there. Elsa could move over parts of Florida by early next week, but it's still too early to predict the path of, of how that far out. Meanwhile, in the Pacific Northwest, more than 60 people have been confirmed dead in Oregon since Friday after a massive heat wave hit the area. And as Rafael Rodriguez reports, that toll could get even higher. The heat wave in the Pacific Northwest wasn't just record-breaking, it was also deadly. More than 60 killed across the state of Oregon. Many of them were found at home, not all of them. 45 dying in Multnomah County alone, where Portland is located. But that number might represent an undercount. We know the risk factor for a heat-related illness and death is social isolation. Um, so uh, sadly, these, uh, these deaths may be people who are yet to be discovered. The numbers are shocking, but not necessarily to the experts. Heat kills more Americans than any other weather-related phenomenon. Paul Loiketh is director of Portland State University's Climate Science Lab. Heat waves have killed countless people across the world. But in the Northwest, they're especially susceptible. We have a larger proportion of the population without air conditioning than a lot of other hot places. So we do have a higher level of vulnerability to heat than a place that more frequently gets these kind of temperatures. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And for more on the impacts of this record heat, let's go to Leah Stokes. She's an associate professor of political science at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and an expert on environmental policy. Thanks for being here, Leah. It was 116 degrees in Portland on Monday and 117 in British Columbia. This time of year, those temperatures are more typically around the mid-70s. What's your reaction to this excessive heat wave? How unprecedented is it? Well, unfortunately, it was actually 121 degrees in Canada, which is the highest temperature ever recorded in the entire country, higher than the heat record in Las Vegas for context. And the town that set that record now has a forest fire raging that is potentially going to burn down the town. So it just shows you what climate change is doing. It's all these cascading disasters. We have a drought uh, where 60 million Americans almost from Montana to New Mexico and all the way to the coast are under drought conditions. And then we have these insane heat waves that are killing people in places like Portland and Seattle, setting crazy records that we've never seen before. As you said, 108 degrees in Seattle, that's 34 degrees above normal. So this is climate change and forest fires are tragically what's next on the list. These heat waves, droughts and forest fires are the signatures of climate change and it's happening now. And President Biden has laid out an ambitious climate agenda but has failed to garner Republican support for it. Can you talk to us about what's in that package? 
Well, we don't need Republican support to pass an ambitious climate bill. The fact is that it can be done through the budget reconciliation process, just like the American Rescue Plan was done, the COVID recovery package a few months ago. And that's this package is called the American Jobs Plan. It's the boldest climate uh, proposal that's ever come out of the federal government. And we need the Democrats to step up and pass it this summer. It includes massive investments in our power system, trying to get us to 80% power by um, by 80% clean power by 2030, on the path to 100% clean power by 2035. It includes big investments in electric vehicles, in cleaning up our buildings so that we don't have to use fossil gas anymore. It's a really bold package, and we have to get it done. And the way to do it is through budget reconciliation with just Democratic votes. And what are the arguments, uh, the main arguments from Republicans against Biden's climate plan? I think the main arguments are their pocketbooks, which is that they get an enormous amount of money from the fossil fuel lobbyists. Of course, yesterday, Channel 4 News in the UK broke a fairly explosive story of a senior Exxon lobbyist talking about how much money they give to legislators and how much access that affords them and how their entire plan is to stop the climate bill. So you can't understand the lack of compassion from Republican legislators for the tragedies and the lives lost to climate change that are unfolding right now without understanding their deep ties to the fossil fuel industry. Can Democrats, I mean, Democrats could lose their slim majority in the 2022 midterms. Are there any Republicans working on climate legislation or is this the one shot to get anything passed on climate? No, there are not Republicans who are serious about acting. Something like a clean electricity standard should be a bipartisan thing. It was actually passed in a lot of states under Republican governors. And, you know, cleaning up our grid is just a no-nonsense idea. But we can't seem to find Republicans to support this. So there, the reality is that now is the time for Congress to act. When we have those 50 votes in the Senate, we have that narrow margin in the House. Democrats are going to have to be the ones to lead on this. I hope not forever. I would love if the Republican Party started to wake up because the young people in the Republican Party are deeply concerned about climate change. It doesn't matter what your ideology is. You'd like to have a livable planet. You don't want to see people dying in heat waves and droughts and forest fires. It's a tragic thing to watch happening in the United States. So I'm hopeful that the Republican Party could move, but it's certainly not going to happen. And the next year or two. It's a desperate situation. Thank you, Leah Stokes, political science professor at UC Santa Barbara. And meanwhile, in California, the largest wildfire burning in that state, the lava fire, has grown to more than 17,000 acres. That's 4,000 acres more than Tuesday. So far, that fire near the Oregon border is only 19% contained. Evacuations were expanded on Wednesday. Governor Gavin Newsom secured federal emergency funding for the fire on Tuesday and visited the fire command center. According to officials, the fire was started by lightning. There's a bombshell development in the investigation into former President Trump and his company. A Trump, a top Trump Organization executive surrendering to authorities in New York City, Alex Weiselberger, indicted in connection with tax investigation. As Andrea Linares tells us, Weiselberger expects to face the first charges today. 
After a two-year-long investigation into Donald Trump's business dealings, the Manhattan DA bringing criminal charges today against the Trump Organization and its chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg. The top executive with close ties to the former president surrendered to authorities in New York. Weiselberg, who has worked for the company since the 1970s, is set to be arraigned in the afternoon on charges that have not yet been unsealed. They are expected to center around benefits from the real estate company he extended to his family. Those include payments for cars, rent, tuition and medical bills. Weiselberg's former daughter-in-law has been cooperating with investigators for months and providing evidence to them. On Wednesday, Trump ignored questions about the criminal charges while in Texas, where he held a campaign-style event along the border. He's denied all wrongdoing, recently dismissing the investigation as politically motivated. But last night, the former vice president of the Trump Organization acknowledged nothing major happens at the company without Donald Trump's approval. Anything that Alan did that resulted in some kind of illegality or some against the law, Trump knew about that nothing big happens at the Trump Organization without Trump's knowledge. Trump Organization lawyers have called it unprecedented and outrageous for a company to be indicted for failing to pay taxes on benefits. Mr. Weiselberg is the most important person in the Trump Organization who is not a member of the Trump family. The big question now is whether prosecutors can get him to testify against Donald Trump. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, UNews. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining us to analyze this latest legal move is former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti. Welcome to You News. As we've just reported, the indictments against Weisselberg and the Trump Organization are expected to be unsealed later today. What will you be looking for? So one thing I'm going to be looking for is whether or not there are any hints, either in the indictment or in statements by the prosecutors, that there's more to come. I think that if the investigation ends up with just this narrow char set of charges against Weiselberg and the organization, I think uh, that really means that we're not going to be seeing um, uh, charges against other top executives or members of the Trump family. On the other hand, uh, it could be the case that, uh, for example, a statute of limitations is about to end or they're trying to pressure Weiselberg to flip and they have more up their sleeve and they're continuing to investigate. So I'm, I'm gonna be looking for those signs. The Trump Organization is alleged, among other things, to have paid with perks instead of salary. How did that break the law and how crucial would that be in the case against the organization? <clears throat> now, there's nothing wrong uh, with providing those perks to your employees, but you have to pay taxes. Uh, so everyone's gotta pay taxes to the government and that income counts as uh, as in, that counts as income to the employees, even if, um, for example, you're giving them a car or tuition for their kids, it's as if you were paying them money. So the, the issue there is simply that they weren't properly paying taxes on that money. I think that's something that all of us can relate to. Uh, no matter how we get uh, our income, we ultimately have to report it to the government. And the Trump Organization has been in court thousands of times in the past, most recently for the Trump University case and the Trump Foundation's fake charity. Why is this case different? Well, it is a criminal case. 
Uh, and so that's one thing. Some of those cases you mentioned were civil cases. Criminal cases, different. It could mean, for example, Mr. Weisselberg could spend time inside prison. Um, and he doesn't look like somebody who would want to want to do that, uh, an elderly businessman. In addition to that, uh, I, I also think that there is a potential here, since it's a criminal case and you have somebody who's so close to the former president, that, you know, for example, he might decide he wants to cooperate uh, or they, because it's such a wide-ranging investigation, may end up developing charges against others, which is why I'm so focused on looking for that. Um, so if Weiselberg can face prison time, what kind of penalties can the organization face? So yeah, you can't throw a, a corporation into prison, uh, but what you can do is you can fine the corporation, for example, or you can restrain it from doing certain things in the future, constrain its behavior in the future. I will say so usually the, the biggest uh, penalties that an organization or a corporation faces is the reputational loss and the fact that a lot of uh, banks don't want to lend the money and other businesses don't want to do business with them. So it, it does have an impact on companies that's significant. That said, uh, you can't, uh, individuals uh, can be punished uh, more severely. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. In this case, Renato Mariotti, former federal prosecutor. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And to mask or not to mask, that's an increasingly confusing question thanks to the Delta variant, even for those who are vaccinated. Officials in LA and Illinois just the latest to suggest that even people who are vaccinated should mask up. And as Grecia Lastra explains, the debate is taking place as the more infectious Delta strain takes hold on all 50 states. If you are not vaccinated, uh, then you are in trouble. This is, a again, a, a serious threat, uh, and we're seeing it spread uh, among unvaccinated people. A stark warning from the Surgeon General. But as the more transmissible COVID-19 Delta variant continues to spread, the guidance from the CDC for now remains the same. If there is a shift in the, the evidence base and the science, uh, then they will update their guidance accordingly. For parents of young unvaccinated children, this advice. I think it's very reasonable for parents who are living uh, with kids who are unvaccinated or for that member matter other family members who are unvaccinated to consider wearing a mask. According to the CDC, the Delta variant accounting for more than a quarter of COVID-19 cases across the country. The daily pace of vaccinations is slowing down to a roughly a third from what it was two months ago. Health experts concerned about the growing divide. It's almost like it's going to be two Americas. You're going to have areas where the vaccine rate is high, where there's more than 70% of the population has received at least one dose. 
Health experts worry the rise and spread of more transmissible variants could make it even harder to reach herd immunity. New polling shows most U.S. adults who plan to get vaccinated have already done so. With 77 percent of vaccinated adults saying everyone in their household is vaccinated, while 75 percent of unvaccinated adults said no one they live with is vaccinated. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for you news. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then, 